Blood truly has uh, power. I uh, think of uh, Romans 5, 9 says we're justified by his blood. Declared not guilty uh, before God. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7 says that uh, uh, we have redemption uh, through his blood. Uh, purchased by the very blood of Jesus Christ as his valued, cherished possession. Uh, and he will protect us and he will provide for us. Uh, Colossians 1.20, we have what? Peace through his blood. Hebrews 10.19, we have boldness uh, through the blood of Christ to enter the very holy of holies to commune uh, with God and to make our needs uh, freely known uh, before him. And then uh, Hebrews also tells us that his blood is secured for us an eternal redemption uh, that we will never, never ever lose. Years ago, uh, a national publication uh, told the story of a lost little boy uh, by simply showing four pictures with uh, captions underneath each of the pictures. Uh, the first picture was simply just a vast wheat field in western uh, Kansas. Uh, the second picture showed a mother uh, in distress uh, in a home that was situated right in the middle of that vast wheat field. And the reason she was in distress is that uh, her little preschool boy had gotten lost in the wheat field. And he had not been able to make his way home, and uh, they were desperately uh, searching for him and had not yet found him, and the uh, night, the evening hours were uh, rapidly approaching when the uh, uh, temperatures would uh, dip down and be dangerously, uh, very dangerous for the uh, little boy. The, the third picture, which was uh, a very stunning picture, was all the people who had heard of the little boy being lost, uh, they gathered uh, in the morning, the next morning, uh, and they joined their hands, and then hand in hand, in a, just a, a long line that just seemed to go forever, uh, holding what they just literally swept that wheat field from one end to the other, uh, looking uh, for the little boy. The fourth picture was the father standing over the body. of his little son. They had finally found him, but it was too late. Uh, the cold, cold night had claimed its victim, and the little boy was dead. And underneath that last picture of the weeping father uh, were these words that he spoke. Oh God, had we only joined hands sooner. Oh God, had we only joined hands sooner. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There is a world of lost men and women, boys and girls. They are all lost in the field of the world, and they can't find their way uh, to the Father's home. They are perishing in the night of sin, and when the morning dawns, it will be too late. Uh, before Jesus ascended back to heaven, uh, after his death and resurrection, he gave his church one command, go. Go into the world and share. Tell the good news. Be my witnesses. And of course, we call that command, not the great Suggestion, but the great what? Commission. That's what we've been commissioned to do as the church. That is our primary mission here on earth. And if we as the church do not come together to bring people to Jesus, there is no one else who will. And the day is coming when we as believers will stand face to face to Jesus. And we will give an account on how we obeyed the Great Commission, on how 
invested we were in completing the mission that Jesus began when He came to seek and save those who are lost. Today we come to the sixth and the final message in what has been just a a little mini-series entitled, Telling Others uh, the Good News. Uh, I've tried to make this a very, very uh, practical uh, series, a more sort of how-to, and I trust you have appreciated it. And I'm wrapping that up today with a message I've entitled, Partners in Telling Others uh, the Good News. So uh, I hope you picked up a copy of your uh, sermon notes And uh, look at that introduction. Authentic church fellowship is centered on being partners in propagating the gospel. Let me repeat that. Authentic church fellowship, as defined in the New Testament as we're going to see, is centered on being partners in propagating the gospel. I have listed there the reference, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Let me read those verses for you and listen very, very carefully. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Listen now, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When Paul refers to the Philippians' partnership in the gospel, that phrase, partnership in the gospel, the word partnership is koinonia in the Greek text. And that word is often translated fellowship. So in some places it's translated fellowship. Other places has here it's translated partnership. The reason is because in the New Testament days, the word fellowship had commercial overtones. For example, if two men bought a boat to start a fishing business, they entered what was called a fellowship with one another. They would become partners as they invested their time, talents, and treasure to put their fledging fishing company on its feet. In the process, they often developed close friendships, but it was all built around accomplishing a shared vision. So the word fellowship, as used in the New Testament, refers to people entering a partnership to accomplish a shared vision. And we discover in the verses that I read from in Philippians that that vision is what? To propagate, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we understand the true meaning of fellowship, I think we have to confess in today's church that what we call fellowship often falls short. To us, fellowship is meeting together for a meal or coming together to have a Bible study or maybe to uh, pray together, to develop meaningful relationships uh, with one another. And all of that has its place. All of that is very, very important. I don't want to diminish that, But we have to acknowledge it falls short of true Christian fellowship. See, too often our Bible studies are nothing more than gaining more knowledge about the Bible and helping us make it through our problems and the temptations we face in life. Too often our prayer meetings are nothing more than telling God about our aches, pains, and worries and asking Him to help. Now, please, 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 please understand me. None of that is bad. It is all good. In sharing life together, all these things are going to be a part. But here's the question. Where is our passion to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? See, if our Bible studies, if our prayer meetings, if our worship services are not producing believers 
who enter a partnership with one another to live and to share the gospel with a lost world, we have missed the heart of true Christian fellowship. And we do have a couple of opportunities coming up uh, to do this very thing. Uh, Love Indeed, that second weekend in October. And then we have Love Indeed 365. This is where every one of our Sunday school classes have adopted various outreach ministries where they can get outside the four walls of the church to touch lost people, to see them come to know Jesus. And there are many ministries in our church that folks can plug into. And, of course, our focus in this series has been what? Uh, To become aware in a very deliberate and intentional way of the uh, non-Christians that we rub shoulders with every day and that we would become much more strategic in uh, reaching out to them to, to build friendships and through those friendships to begin conversations and trusting that God will open the door for those conversations to turn into spiritual talks where we can share the gospel. And part of being partners together is to encourage one another along those lines, hold one another accountable along those lines. As we do come together for our Bible studies and prayer meetings and worship services, are we being faithful to the Great Commission? Now, go back to the introduction in your notes and notice that we accomplish this in three ways, as we discover in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. First, there's verbal evangelism, verbal evangelism, sharing the gospel. And that's been the focus of this current sermon series, telling others the good news. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, concerning this wonderful church at Thessalonica, uh, Paul, uh, Paul commends them. He says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you in Macedonia in Achaia. In other words, this church had embraced the gospel, and then that gospel was echoing forth from them, uh, and they were giving it out to others. And that little bullet point underneath there, the church receives the gospel to transmit the gospel to others. It's so crucial for us to understand that. If, if you have been brought to salvation, you have been brought to salvation to then share that with others. God wants to use you as His instrument to, yes, extend His presence in this world, express the character of Christ, engage the lost, and share the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. So we accomplish this through verbal evangelism, but then through what I would call viral evangelism, viral evangelism. Uh, This is spreading the gospel. Again in verse 8, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so we have no need to say anything. In other words, if I can maybe help you understand this, verbal evangelism, what we just talked about at the very first, is believers sharing the gospel with the lost. Viral evangelism is what the lost are saying about believers. As they watch us and how we live life, how we face adversity and challenges. Um, And so that little bullet point there, we need to ask, what is the holy gossip being said about our church? And we hope it's holy gossip. Because again, it's that testimony of our lives, as we've often talked about, that provides the credibility for the verbal witness. And then the third way that we're able to um, share the gospel with the lost world is visual evangelism. And that's living the gospel, living the gospel. And we see this very, very clearly in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians 1. For they themselves report about us uh, what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So that bullet point right underneath that point, the church is to be visibly changed by the gospel we share. The church is to be visibly changed by the gospel we share. And we've been talking about this through this entire 
uh, mini-series on telling others the good news, that we're to be engaged in verbal evangelism, sharing the gospel. We've received the gospel to transmit the gospel to others. There's also viral evangelism. What other people are saying about us is they watch us live our lives and face our challenges and adversities. And then there's the visual evangelism, living the gospel out. As we turn from all other th- idols to serve a true and living God and in purity wait for His Son in heaven. And as we wait to be very active in serving Him and involved in the mission that He's commissioned us to do and to demonstrate that we have been changed by the gospel that we share. Now, as you see in your notes, for the rest of the time, we're going to look at how to work together to bring non-Christians to Christ. How to work together to bring non-Christians to Christ. And we're going to draw four lessons from a marvelous story out of the ministry of Christ found in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. But, But first, before we look at those verses, look at... Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Remember always to live as Christians should, so that you are standing side by side with strong purpose to tell the good news. I want you to circle three things in this one verse. Circle the phrase to live. Circle that phrase, to live. We are to live the Christian life as we just talked about. We're to visually display the gospel. But then also circle to tell. We are to tell the good news. There's that verbal evangelism, sharing the gospel. So circle to live. We are to live the Christian life. Circle to tell. We are to tell the good news. But then also circle side by side. God, now listen now. God is looking for audio-visual Christians who live the good news and tell the good news, who walk the walk and talk the talk. But also notice we're to do it together as partners, what? Side by side. Amen? Please now turn in your Bibles to Mark 2 as we look at four men, four men who did come side by side to bring one of their non-Christian friends to Jesus. Mark chapter 2, let me just read for you the story. And there's so much packed into this story. We won't have time to cover all of it. I'm really just focusing on these four men and what they did for their friend that they brought to Jesus and the lessons we can learn from that. But Mark chapter 2 verse 1. When he, referring to Jesus, had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And by the way, that's referring to the home of Peter and Andrew. If you go to the first chapter, uh, you'll clearly see that uh, after he called Peter and Andrew to follow him, that uh, he spent time, slept over in their home. Matter of fact, we're told in chapter 1, he began ministering uh, out of the platform of their home, And at one point it says the entire city had uh, surrounded that house as people were bringing the sick to him and others that were in need for him to touch them and to heal them. And so he had this wonderful ministry out of their home. And then we're told in chapter 1, he said, I I need to leave now to go preach into uh, some of the other cities in Galilee. And now he returns to Capernaum and he's back in the home of uh, uh, Peter and Andrew, and notice what it says. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer uh, room, uh, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. So they, they've, they've heard he's come back. Now the city is flocking uh, to him uh, to the point that uh, it, it just the place is just engulfed with people. And then it says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic, a paralyzed man, carried by four men. He's being carried by them on a pallet. He can't walk. So he's lying down on a pallet, and these four guys are carrying them. He's having a corner. Uh, being unable to get to him, to get to Jesus because of the crowd, <laughs> what they do? They, they took their friend up on the roof, and they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. 
In other words, they, they put a hole right in the roof and they let him down uh, and dropped him right there in, in front of Jesus. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he, the paralytic, got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Look at the first truth that we can take from this story. We are to work together with concern for others. We're to work together with concern for others, and this is the principle of compassion. And I think every single week in this series, at some point, we have referred to having love, concern, compassion for the lost. And it's that concern and compassion that motivates us to reach out to them, to invest, to become involved in their lives, and to look for those opportunities to share Jesus with them. Mark 2, verse 3 says, They came, these four men, bringing to him, bringing to Jesus a paralytic, carried, again, by four men. Notice, these four men express concern for the paralytic. Now think about it. They had to alter their schedules. They had to take the time to bring him to Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Again, we, we talked about this in one of our earlier messages, that we need to begin to rethink what it means to be a Christian, to be the church. Remember we talked about that Philippians passage, that we're not to do anything from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of minds, we're to focus on others. Seeing the lost is more important than we are. Not looking to our own interest, but to the interest of others. To the interest of the lost. You see, the reason, now think about this. The reason most Christians never bring anyone to Jesus is not because they're evil people. No, no, not at all. It's because we just suddenly drift into a lifestyle where everything centers on what we've got to do today, tomorrow, this weekend. We simply get too preoccupied. Weeks turn into months. Months turn into years. Years turn into decades. And before you realize it, you come to the end of your life having made little difference in the cause of Christ. It is just this simple, and it's been one of the main points I've tried to emphasize throughout this entire series. If you never devote any time to fishing, chances are you're never going to catch a fish. And some of the key words I've mentioned throughout this entire series is the need for us to become intentional in this area, to become deliberate in this area, to literally plan, to begin looking at where are we coming into contact with non-Christians? And if we're not, to change our schedules and our habits and our way of life so that we are coming in contact with non-Christians. And then not only seeing them, but then begin to pray for them. Begin to literally target them as opportunities. To look for the opportunity to build acquaintances, to build friendships, relationships to begin to enter conversations. We've talked all about that in previous messages in a very, very uh, practical way. But again, it's never going to happen unless our concern and our compassion leads us to be deliberate and intentional and plan for it, strategize, target non-Christians and reach out 
to them. Now, going back to the story of the paralytic, don't miss a simple fact. He would have never gotten to Jesus on his own. I mean, he was paralyzed. If it were not for the concern of the four men who brought him to Jesus, he would have remained a cripple, physically and spiritually. And there is an important, important principle here. People who desperately need the Lord are often paralyzed. Paralyzed by fear, guilt, shame, bitterness, loneliness, grief. Just how sin has ravished their lives. And without our loving intervention, they will never come to Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 2, as it reads from the paraphrase, the message. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? How can I get involved? How can I get invested? How can I begin to build a relationship to start conversations that hopefully will lead to the opportunity to share of the preciousness of Jesus? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. You need to look beyond the faults of non-Christians and see their need. So we are to work together with concern for others, the principle of compassion. Look at the second truth. We are to work together with confidence in Christ. We are to work together with confidence in Christ, and this is the principle of faith. So to work together with one another with confidence in Christ, which is the principle of faith. Look at Mark chapter 2, verse 5 there. And seeing their faith, and Jesus seeing their faith said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Circle the word there. Whose faith is Jesus talking about? The friends, the four friends. He's not talking about the paralyzed man's faith, but the faith of the men who brought him. These four men, they believed. If we can just get our friend to Jesus, they believed that Jesus was willing and able to do the rest. And working together, they strengthened each other's faith. I love Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 there in your sermon notes. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Do you believe that verse? I mean, do you believe there is no person beyond the reach of God's love and grace? Do you believe there is no heart that is so dark that God cannot penetrate it? I mean, do you believe there is no hopeless cause with God? Then believe with expectation that God will save those that you pray for and that you reach out to. The Bible says without faith it's what? It's impossible to please God. It's our faith, it's our confidence in God's willingness. God, not my willingness, not my ability, not the person's willingness or ability, but God's willingness. It's that confidence, that faith that releases the power of God in life situations and challenges and ministry opportunities. I mean, nothing's going to happen if we just go about this whole area of telling others the good news and timidity and fear, never believing that anything's ever going to happen and their lives are never going to be apprehended by God. So we need to engage believing, believing that God is a God of love, that He is willing and able, and that He will use, as we've talked about earlier, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the inherent power of the gospel to draw people To himself. Again, what has been our emphasis? It's our responsibility to bring what Christ to the non Christians, but only God can bring the non Christian to Christ. Only God can save, only God can convert. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 12. When we come together, I want to encourage you in your faith, and I also want to be encouraged by yours. See, alone, here's Rhea, alone my faith is going to falter. It will. 
but ministering side by side with you, my faith is strengthened. And I'll I'll give you a great example of this out of my own life. I've shared this before, but there may be some here that have not heard this, and uh, I'll be brief with, with the testimony. But we had a girl that came through Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic. And uh, I had an opportunity to talk with her. And to be very honest with you, it's one of the worst counseling sessions I've ever had in my life. I mean, this girl was as hard as any individual that I had ever encountered. Uh, She was pregnant. She was seeking an abortion. She didn't know the Lord. She didn't want to hear anything that I had to share with her. And she definitely didn't want to hear anything that I had to share about Jesus. And she eventually jumped out of her seat cursed me out, slammed the door, walked out. And when that happened, my heart just sunk. I, I knew we had lost her. We knew we had lost her not only on the issue of uh, uh, the baby, but even her own spiritual life and walk. Well, it just happened that that night, and when I say just happened, you can see God doing this for my good, my spiritual benefit, we had scheduled a, a volunteer meeting where we get all the staff and volunteers together. Uh, we would typically back in those days do that on about a, a quarterly basis. We'd provide some additional training, but we'd always spend the last half an hour in prayer. And so I'm standing in front of our director of all, and our staff and all the volunteers of Sound Choices, and I said, what do we need to pray for? And several of them raised their hand, we, we need to pray for that young woman that came in that we had an opportunity to talk to, that you had an opportunity to talk to. Now, now I'm, I'm just being as honest as I can about my, the frailty of my humanity and my unbelief. Folks, I had already written that girl off, that she, had got, she was past the point of, of no return, that her heart was so hard, she was so resistant that, that there, there was nothing we could do. But now, these precious ladies that I'm working with side by side in this ministry, they're asking me, their spiritual leader, to pray. And I'll be honest with you, we get on our knees. There are probably about 50 of us over in Peacock Hall. We got on our knees, and we began to pray for this girl, and I let out initially. And I'll be honest I was going through the motions, but there was absolutely no faith in my prayer. But praise God for those that I was praying with side by side. Because they hadn't given up on God and His ability to work in their life. And they began to cry out with passion, with tears, for her life. We end our prayer time. I come into my office the next morning. About mid-morning, I get a call. I pick up the phone, and guess who's on the other end of the phone? It's that girl. And this is how the conversation goes. I'm not embellishing, honest truth. She goes, I don't believe I'm calling you. This is, it's, it's like this isn't real. I mean, it's like I'm having to pinch myself to see it, you know, know, am I dreaming? Is this all really happening? And then she made this statement. I'll never forget this as long as I live. She said, last night, she said, I was on the couch, and I was watching TV, and I wasn't giving y'all the last thought. You know, I'd written y'all off. I mean, my, my direction was set. And then she made this statement. And then something just came all over me. That was her exact words. Something just came all over me. And she said, when it did, I began to think about everything they shared with me down at Sound Choices. Everything that you, that you shared with me. And it, it just broke me. And I can't believe I'm, I'm asking this of you. But she said, would you please tell me how I can come to know your Jesus as my Lord and Savior? And then 
after I picked myself up off the floor, I mean literally, I mean talking about being struck with conviction because of my unbelief. I mean, I was just shattered by my own unbelief. But I knew I couldn't blow it a second time. And I said, I said, that's something that came all over you? I said, that happened right between 9 and 9.30 last night, didn't it? And then there was this long pause over the phone. She said, how could you have possibly known that? Because I said, right at that time, there were right at about 50 people on our knees praying for you. And, of course, you not only came to know Christ, but turned from abortion to choose life for her child. And we even had the opportunity to see her reconciled with her family, who she had been estranged with. See, I needed my fellow believers. I was in unbelief. I'd, I'd written that, that individual off. And if we hadn't have been side by side in this ministry, something like this would have never happened. We desperately need one another. So we're to work together with concern, the principle of compassion, and we're to work together with confidence in Christ, the principle of faith. Look at the third truth. We're to work together with courage, with courage to bring people to Christ. And we've talked a lot about this. One of the greatest challenges in this whole area of evangelism is overcoming our fears and our anxieties. So yes, it demands courage to bring people to Christ, and this is the principle of obedience, that we can't let our fears dictate our lives. We have to step out in obedience to engage in the mission Jesus has called us to engage in, even when we're struggling, when we're trembling, and, uh, and feel very awkward and very uh, inadequate. Uh, in the Luke account of the story, we read in Luke chapter 5, that should be verse 18. I think in your notes it says verse 1, but it should be verse 18. It says, and they were trying to bring him in because of the crowd and to set him down in front of Jesus. You know, let, let's be honest. I doubt that any of the four men who brought the paralytic to Jesus would have had the courage to do it alone. I mean, they found courage in working together. You know, I'll never forget some years ago, right here at Edgewood, I was talking to an army colonel who had been a, a lead person uh, in a study conducted by the Army of the performance of soldiers in combat situations. And what prompted this study was the, the, the realization that in World War II, they discovered that a large percentage of soldiers in combat never fired their weapon. They just sort of hunkered down, almost with the, the, the thought he said, you know, if the enemy can't see... You know, if I can't see the enemy, they can't see me. And just that survival mode just sort of set in. And, and what they discovered was that when a soldier fights side by side with a team of men, with a team of soldiers that he knows, with a team of men that he cares about, that he is much more likely to overcome his fears and have greater resolve to complete the mission. And this study was very instrumental in changing some of the training patterns of the army, realizing the importance of putting soldiers side by side in teams where they're not isolated in combat and how that just radically impacted their effectiveness in combat. And again, their resolve in completing the mission. And it's no different as a soldier of Christ being involved in God's work. By working together to reach people for Christ, you will find the courage to overcome fears that you would never overcome alone. And then you ask, where, where do you find courage? Well, first through prayer. Look at that verse, Colossians 4.3 in your notes. Colossians 4.3. Pray for us, Paul says, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about His mysterious plan concerning Christ. Will you circle the two words, pray and opportunities? And again, this is another thing we've emphasized through this study. The importance of praying to God as we become deliberate and intentional in this area. As we target non-Christians. God, I ask you. 
I'm, I'm praying for Johnny, or I'm praying for Susie, or whoever it might be. I'm praying that you'll soften their hearts, you'll bring them to faith in Christ. And I'm offering myself to be your instrument in this. So, Lord, give me the opportunity, open the door to build an acquaintance, a friendship with them, to at least begin in conversation with them. And then I'm going to trust you as that happens that the relationship will continue to grow to where I can share about spiritual things and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and let me also mention, when a lost person's heart is hard and God wants to sow his seed into their heart, do you know how he softens it? He often sends a storm into their lives. Adversity, hurt, pain. So anytime, anytime, this is where you need to be alert at work or in your neighborhood or at you, you kids at school where, where, or the team that you're involved in. Whenever you see a person going through a storm in life, know God is at work. He's at work trying to soften their hearts and so start looking around for people that are going through storms. Look for people under great stress. Target them for prayer. Express your concern to them. And ask God to give you the opportunity. If nothing more to say, I love you. I want you to know I care. I know you're really struggling right now. I just want you to know I'll, I'll be praying for you. At least begin there. And then this trust God will give you the opportunity to go further than that. And then after we pray, we must, we must, we must go. We, you know, we've talked about this, this relational evangelism. We read in, in Luke 14, 23 there, and you know, it's go, 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 go. Out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So we're to work together with concern. That's the principle of compassion. We're to work together with confidence in Christ, the principle of faith. Work together with courage, a prince, uh, uh, in courage, a principle of obedience. And then the fourth truth, final truth, we're to work together with character. With character to overcome the obstacles. We're to work together with character to overcome the obstacles. And this is the principle of persistence. To bring people to Christ, it often takes great persistence. Can't give up too quickly. And, of course, we see great persistence in these four guys. I mean, they could easily, you know, when they showed up at, at uh, Peter and Andrew's house with their friend, and it didn't look like there was any way they could even get even really close to even to the doorway or to a window to, to listen in. You know, they, they could have given up. They, they could have quit in their discouragement. But they said, no, we're going to find a way to get this guy to Jesus. I don't know exactly how they got him up on the roof, but they got him up on the roof. And then they began tearing that roof away. And keep in mind, uh, they would have had to have repaired that roof. That would involve some expense uh, to them after, after the fact. But Mark 2, 4. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And I love Galatians 6, 9. Very appropriate here. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You know, I think of a, a testimony recently of a, a person that came to know Christ through the ministry of our church. And uh, I, I, won't, I won't mention the name because of uh, confidentiality. But this was a, uh, uh, this a person who had been, uh, uh, is one of those paralyzed individuals, had been deeply wounded by adversity, deeply wounded by abuse and injustice in their life. And, um, and instead of turning to God, of course, uh, turned inward, uh, that led them down a very dark path uh, to uh, addiction, uh, to pain medication, and I'm talking about a very, very serious addiction, to all sorts of eating disorders to depression, to anxiety. I mean, I could just go on and on and on and on. And I began working with this individual. And I literally worked with this person right at about three years. 
before they came to know Christ. I mean, we just, we just kept plugging away at the, the addiction issue, the, the other issues, the whole time bringing everything back to Jesus Christ. I mean, I had innumerable opportunities with this individual through that whole process uh, to share the good news of Christ, how their sins could be forgiven and their lives transformed. And I'll be very honest, there are many times I did become discouraged. I was growing weary because I, I wasn't seeing that happen. And folks, I don't know how to explain this, but this is all I can tell you. I mean, I've been working with this individual about three years. And then one afternoon on a schedule, they walk in and everything had changed. I mean, just, just like that. It's like all of a sudden their eyes had been opened to the glorious reality of Jesus Christ, to the truth of Christ. And there, that afternoon in my office, that individual put their trust in Jesus. Their sins were forgiven. And that set them on a path to liberty and freedom. It didn't happen overnight. We still had some ups and downs. But that person today is walking in victory and has been delivered and is being used by God in the lives of others. That beautiful verse is being lived out through them. The one who comforts us in our affliction, he does that so that we can what? Comfort others in their affliction. So this person is, is taking all that pain that they knew and uh, all of those issues that they had and, and, and then how God chains them through God's grace now to minister that same grace uh, to others. So, you know, we, we mentioned this in an earlier message. We need to view that every non-Christian is God's gift to give us the opportunity to learn to love as Christ loved, to learn His love, a love that will bear all things, a love that will believe, that hopes, endures all things, a love that never fails. And as I shared a few weeks ago, the key to that whole thing is what gives love the ability to bear up under the most difficult of situations with the most difficult of people? Because it believes. And when it talks about love believes all things, it's not talking about believing in the person you're trying to reach. It's not talking putting your confidence in your ability. It's talking about belief and confidence in the grace of God. And that's what gives me the ability to persist and to not give up. Because as long as I place my confidence in God's grace, I'm never without hope with this individual. Never without hope. And if I'm not without hope, I can endure one more day. And then the next day. And the next week. And the next month. Or maybe even the next year. Or the following year. Because I'm never without hope. And that hope, again, gives me that ability. And that's why love never fails. And again, it doesn't mean that we're always going to win every non-Christian to Jesus. But even if that doesn't happen, God has done a work, what, in our lives to teach us a love that persists, a love like Jesus that never gives up, that never views any person as hopeless or beyond the reach of His grace. And as a result, then we'll be better prepared to reach out to the next person and the next person, and the next person. Father, we um, thank you for this simple lesson on these four men who were so concerned about their non-Christian friend who was the paralytic that they brought him to Jesus, overcoming every single obstacle as they did this side by side, as they encouraged one another, as they strategized uh, together as they prayed together and thank you Lord that you awarded the fruits of their labors uh, by their friend not only being healed of his paralyzed condition but being forgiven of all of his sin to know new life in Jesus so Lord I pray you as we close this sermon series out on telling others the good news 
that you would also help us to see, in light of everything else that we've shared in previous weeks, uh, the need to work side by side, uh, to uh, encourage one another, uh, to hold one another accountable, that uh, this would become more and more a central part of our conversation when we come together, whether it's at Bible studies or prayer meetings or worship, and, and, and focusing here and praying for one another and those that we've targeted and we're reaching out to and investing in. And so, Lord, uh, use us as your instruments. Uh, use us as fishers of men. Again, we go back to the very, very first message when we focus on that invitation that you extended to Peter and Andrew. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And we see even in that invitation your promise that if we will come, if we will surrender, you will make us fishers of men. We can't do it. It can only be by your grace and your power at work in and through us. So, Lord, we want to surrender to you. We want to make ourselves available to you. And now, Lord, just give us the grace uh, to, uh, again, as we've talked about so often, be more deliberate, uh, intentional in targeting non-Christians, to pray for them, to love them. Uh, for it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. As the invitations extended today, uh, you know, possibly you're you're a, you're a lost person that's been brought here by one of our church members who who loves you and has befriended you, and uh, and do you remember the precious promise that Jesus gave to the paralytic? He said, "Sons, your sins are what forgiven." And if you don't know Christ, you can have that same assurance. By placing your faith in Christ. By not placing your confidence in your ability to achieve God's approval, earn God's approval, which will never happen. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But you place your confidence in what Jesus did for you. When he left heaven, came to this earth to die on the cross for you, for your sin. And he rose again and he's alive. And He desires to forgive you. He desires to take up residence in your life. And to empower you to live out the unique plan He has for your life. To empower you uh, to join Him in the mission that He began. To seek and save those who are lost. And to reach the non-Christians that God brings into your life. And into your uh, realm of uh, influence. So... uh, We would appeal to you, put your trust in Him. Uh, Believers, of course, this entire series has been to our church family uh, to challenge us. And again, I still think it comes down uh, to being intentional and deliberate. I mean, to really get serious about this area and begin to think, who are the non-Christians I come into contact with? If I'm not coming in non-Christians, what can I do to change my life? To begin to get into contact with non-Christians and then begin to pray. Target individuals, pray for them, ask God for opportunities to build acquaintances, friendships, just as we've talked about him, 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 just as.